everyone, welcome to Aurora Podcast of Oz. It's Elfling Vaughn's birthday once again, and this year we are presenting a reading of one of his last short stories, The Littlest Giant, an Oz story. Although you can see that uh, aside from a mention of Oz and the Gillikins, there's not really much Oz in here. But anyways, enjoy the little story. In a corner of Oz, there's a high mountain called the Giant's Peak, because all of the giants who lived in that country inhabited the place. There were not many of them, thank goodness, and the people so detested them that they had driven them into this high place and kept them there, although at times they would steal down into the plains and valleys to make mischief. The royal family of the giants consisted of King Gula the Glutton, his wife, Lazy Liz, and their little boy, Prince Qua. This little boy giant was not very wise, for he ate a great deal and grew very fast, and there was no school to send him to. One day, Qua went out to where his father was standing on the mountain and asked, What can I do? Don't bother me, growled Gula. Why are giants so big? inquired the boy. Don't ask fool questions. Is a fool question one that cannot be answered? Yes, said Gula the king. Why don't you ask about something that is useful to know? Do you remember the lessons I have taught you? Perhaps so, replied the boy giant doubtfully. Well, what is the favorite slogan of the giants? Fee fa fum. I smell the girl with chewing gum. Be she alive or be dead, I'll sweep the floor and make the bed. Wrong! All wrong! Roared his father in a rage. It goes this way. Fee fa fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. But man doesn't rhyme with fun, complained Qua. And gum does. Never mind that. You must stick to the regular formula or I'll smash your head. Then, as evidence of what the threat meant, he landed such a cuff on Qua's ear that the boy giant toppled to the ground and split a great flat rock on which he fell. As he sat up, he heard his father say, Try to remember that now you are only a giantino, but that when grown to full size, you will become a giant. Perhaps you may be king in my place if those bloodthirsty Jack the Giant killers down in the valleys ever capture me. Are you afraid of them? asked Qua, slowly getting upon his feet. Ho, 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 laughed Gula. Me, afraid of those tiny human beings when I have magic to aid me? There are a lot of them, remarked Qua. True, my son. When you become a full-grown giant, it will be your chief business to fight and slay the humans. And therefore, you may as well begin now to learn the ways of a warrior giant. In the first place, while on weekdays we usually eat oxen and elephants and such common food, we always like to have a nice fat human for our Sunday dinner. I don't care much for humans, said Qua. That last one that Mother baked was all skin and bones, and the flavor was bad. I admit it, replied Gula. The humans are hard to catch these days, and the one you refer to was an old farmer who had smoked tobacco so long that he was ill-flavored. The young ones are better and make fine broilers. Do the humans eat giants when they catch us? inquired the boy. I think not. They simply kill us, stick us in the ground, and cover us with earth and gravel. It is, of course, a disgrace not to be eaten when one is properly killed, but a dead giant has no power to compel men to eat him, and those miserable humans do not know what is good. What do they eat? asked Qua. Chili sauce and ice cream, I believe. And mince pie, said a voice behind them, and they now beheld the littlest giant, who had come up to them unobserved. The littlest giant was so small that the top of his head reached no higher than Qua's chin, but he was as large around as Gula the Glutton and nearly as old. He was much despised by the other giants because he never grew tall, so the littlest giant lived all by himself in a cave of the mountains and had no wife or children. His name was Big Non Thoris. 
but he was called Nibble for short. Gula the glutton gave the littlest giant a stern look. If you are going to interfere with my child's education, said he, I will go away and leave you. And he turned and marched into the castle and shut the door. That was very clever of the king, remarked Nibble, looking after Qua's father without turning around. For like all that tribe of giants, he had an eye in the back of his head, as well as one in the center of his forehead, just over his nose. The fact is, Qua, that Gula wished to take a nap, for he tramped to the jungles last night and returned at daybreak this morning, with an elephant under each arm and a couple of horses in his coat pocket. I know, replied Qua, nodding his head. We're to have horse for dinner tonight, and I'm very fond of the way Mother cooks it. Horses are getting quite scarce, sighed the littlest giant. We have eaten so many of them that the poor humans are now obliged to ride around in automobiles. And unfortunately, when the horses are gone, we cannot eat the automobiles. But tell me, begged the boy giant, what did you mean by saying the humans eat mince pie? I meant what I said. Mince pies, I am reliably informed, are their favorite diet. You didn't read it in the newspapers? No, indeed. I believe it is true. And what sort of animal is in a mince pie? Inquired the curious Qua. No one can ever tell, said Nibble. For to trace a mince pie back to its origin is almost impossible. I must tell you, Qua, that the pie consists of two crusts, between which is placed a compound of chopped meats and various other dainties, including raisins, plums, and apples. The pie is then baked in an oven and eaten when it is fresh-baked. A mince pie sounds very nice, Nibble, said Qua, smacking his lips. I would greatly like to taste one of them. The littlest giant gave the boy giant a shrewd look and replied, One would scarcely be a taste for a giant, but a couple of dozen would make a nice mouthful. Isn't it sad that those miserable tiny humans have so many delicious things to eat, while we poor giants must hunt like wild beasts to secure enough food to keep us alive? That is why we eat the humans when we catch them, for if they eat their mince pies and we eat them, we are likely to get an enchanting flavor of the pies. We do not catch many humans, said Qua, and I would prefer their pies at first hand. Is there no way for us to get some of them, Nibble? Now this was the very question the cunning Nibble had been leading the boy to ask. But at that moment Queen Lazyliss espied them from the castle window, which was only nine miles from where they stood, and came running out of the door towards them. Here comes your mother to drive me away, whispered the littlest giant. Come to my cave when you have a chance, Quar, and we will talk further about the mince pies. Lazy Liz arrived, swinging in her hand a rolling pin as big around as a live oak tree, and shouting the wild. Clear out of here, Nibble, quick! What do you mean, you disgraceful dwarf, by daring to speak to the royal prince? Nibble did not wait to reply, but ran away so fast that the ground trembled under the weight of his feet, and the people in the valley said to one another, The giants are getting uneasy. Let's sharpen our spears, for fear they may come down on us. Prince Qua was not surprised at his mother's display of anger, because he knew all the big giants were constantly chasing the littlest giant away whenever he came near to their dwellings. But the boy did not dislike Nibble, because he was so near the prince's own size. And that very afternoon, he stole away from the castle and went to Nibble's cave. Nibble had been sitting on a rock and waiting for the boy giant. And while he sat there, his clever brain was thinking out a way to be revenged for all the insults he had suffered because of his size. It wasn't Nibble's fault that he was the littlest giant. Yet all the big giants felt ashamed of him and called him a disgrace to their gigantic race. Nibble would sit on that rock in his isolated cave until he grew so lonely that he could bear it no longer. And then he would go visit some of the other giants and be scolded and chased away from their homes. Their harsh words and cruel blows were a relief from his loneliness, for they furnished him with variety. So he accepted them as graciously as he could, 
But years of his non-comfortable life had finally made Nibble resentful, and that was why he now decided to use Qua to his own advantage. Down in the second valley, he said to the boy giant when they were seated together in Nibble's cave, there lives a human baker who makes a hundred mince pies every day. You and I could go there someday, for it is only two hundred miles, and we could walk that distance in half an hour, and seize the hundred pies and return here with them in our pockets. Then we could devour the delicious morsels at our ease, and not this giant on the mountain would know anything about it. Let's do it, Nibble, cried Qua eagerly. Let's go tomorrow. We could easily get those pies, continued the cunning Nibble, speaking slowly, if we had just one thing to assist us, but that one thing we have not got. What is it? inquired the boy giant. Your father's golden dart. Qua was greatly disappointed when he heard that, for the golden dart was the most precious thing King Gula possessed, and he never let anyone but himself touch it. The golden dart was the magic weapon which enabled the great giant to defeat all his foes and secure food for himself and his family. Whenever he left the mountain, he carried the golden dart in his pocket, and when he cast it at an elephant, or a human being, or any other living thing, he would say, Fly away without delay. Quickly slay the giant's prey. And the golden dart would slip through the air with the swiftness of the wind, and pierce the heart of the giant's victim. Then it would whirl around, and come straight back to the giant's hand in readiness to be used again. If he wished to slay an enemy, King Gula would say, Swiftly go, carry woe to my foe, and lay him low. And the giant dart would obey, and kill the giant's enemy before he could come near enough to fight Gula. It was no wonder that the giant king prized his golden dart, and guarded it jealously. Now Prince Qual was only a boy, and his knowledge was small, and his judgment was not developed. He was very sorry that Nibble needed his father's golden dart for the proposed adventure, because he had set his heart on testing those men's pies, and like all human boys, he wanted what he wanted, when he wanted it, and did not like to be denied. I am sure my father will not let us take his golden dart, he said to Nibble. So am I, returned the littlest giant, if we ask him for it. He gave Qua time to think over the suggestion before he continued. We could go to the valley in half an hour, seize the mince pies in five minutes, and return here in another half hour. An hour and five minutes altogether. Why, Cor, your father often sleeps for three whole hours when he takes his afternoon nap. That is true, agreed the boy giant. When he goes to sleep, you might steal into his room, take the golden dart, and bring it here to me. Then we would go for the mince pies. I'm sure you will find them the most delicious food in all the world. And on our return, you will carry the golden dart to your father's room and lay it beside him while he still sleeps. He will never know we have used it, and no harm will be done. Qua hesitated, for it was a daring thing to steal the king's magic weapon, even for an hour and five minutes, and he was afraid the theft would be discovered, and he would be soundly beaten. Qua remembered how hard old Gula struck when he was angry, and the boy shuddered to think of the pommeling he would receive if caught in so bold an act of pilfering. Yet he wanted the mince pies. I'll think it over, Nibble, said he, getting up to go. All right, said the littlest giant in a cheerful tone. If you don't wish to borrow the dart for an hour or so, we will say nothing more about those mince pies. They have a wonderful fragrance, and to smell them is almost as delightful as to eat them. However, unless we borrow the dart for a brief space of time, we shall never get near enough to the pies to even smell them. Qua walked slowly home and arrived in time for dinner. But all the while he ate of the stewed horses, he thought of the mince pies, and gazed upon the golden dart which his father always carried stuck in his belt with longing eye. Gula the glutton was cross that evening, because one of the horses proved tough, being of a great age when it was killed, 
and he boxed Qua's ears so soundly, without any cause whatever, that the humans down in the valley below heard the sound and mistook it for thunder. Qua was angry with his father, but more afraid than ever to steal the golden dart. Next morning he went to Nibble's cave and told him he dared not take the weapon, because if his father chanced to waken and found it missing, he would beat Qua so cruelly that the boy's flesh would be tender and sore for a month to come. I have been thinking of that, said the littlest giant, and going to a corner of his cave he brought forth a golden dart, which he held up before the eye of the wandering boy. When did you steal it? asked Qua. I didn't steal it, I made it, answered Nibble, laughing. This dart is gilded wood instead of gold, and it has no magic power whatever. But it looks exactly like your father's enchanted weapon, and even Gula couldn't tell the difference unless he tried to use it. What is it good for? inquired the boy giant. You will stick this in your father's belt when you take the magic dart from him as he sleeps. If by chance he wakens while you are gone for the mince pies, he will think his golden dart is safe and go to sleep again. In this way, you will be safe from suspicion, and whatever happens, you will escape a beating. Qua was delighted with the littlest giant's cleverness. He took the dart and concealed it in his sleeve, and then went back to the castle of his father, the giant king. Old Gula the Glutton ate a hearty luncheon of elephant steak, sliced thin and fried in perfumed fat, and that he grew sleepy and lay down for his afternoon nap. Queen Lazy Liz cleared the table and went into the kitchen to wash the dishes, and while she was engaged in this task, Qua heard his father snoring lustily. The towers of the castle trembled with the sound, as if an earthquake had shaken them, and the boy giant stole quietly into Gula's bedroom and crept up beside him. When the giant drew in his breath, the golden dart was held tight. When he let out his breath, the dart became loose. Noticing this, Qua watched his chance and in one breath removed the golden dart from the belt and in the next breath replaced it with the imitation dart. Then he softly left the room and the castle and ran to the cave of the littlest giant. Here it is, he cried, panting as he held up the magic weapon. Nibble's eyes sparkled in his forehead, but he restrained his eager joy and said in a composed voice, Very good. Let us be off at once, Qua. And since your courage has made the trip possible, I will give you two mince pies for every one I take myself. Are you sure this is the real golden dart? He asked, extending his hand for it as if to examine it. Oh, yes, replied Qua, and having no suspicion of the littlest giant's great plans, he allowed him to take the dart. Nibble's hand trembled with suppressed excitement as he placed the powerful weapon in his own belt. It was this very golden dart which had enabled Gula to become king of the giants, as well as to rule them with cruel and merciless sway, for all feared the enchanted weapon would pierce their hearts the instant it was commanded to do so. Gula had once captured it from a famous magician of the Gillikins, and now Nibble had captured it from Gula by cleverly encouraging Prince Qua to fill his stomach with mince pies. The littlest giant was good-natured in his triumph, and decided that the boy had earned his promised reward. Together they descended the mountain, and reached the second valley where stood the house of the baker. The man was terrified at beholding the two giants, and fell on his knees and begged for mercy. Bring forth every mince pie in your bakery, commanded Nibble, and the baker obeyed at once. There were ninety-three of them, for he had already sold seven of his morning's baking. And the giants filled their pockets with the pastry, taking the tins in which they were baked, as well as the pies. Then they let the baker go unharmed and returned to the mountain. They reached Nibble's cave in exactly one hour and five minutes from the time they had left it. But Qua said, We do not need the golden dart after all. True, replied the littlest giant. But we might have needed it. While Qua sat on the rock devouring the mince pies, which he thought very nice, but not quite so good as Nibble had described them. The littlest giant went to the back of his cave and, quite unobserved by the boy, replaced the golden dart in his belt with another gilded wooden one, for he had made two imitations. 
Then, he hid the real magic weapon in a crevice of rock and returned to Qua, who had just finished eating his share of the pies, so that the floor of the cave was all littered with tins. You must run home and replace the golden dart before your father awakens, he said to the boy, drawing the imitation one from his belt and handing it to him. Qua ran home and found Gula still asleep, so he managed to exchange the darts without wakening the giant king. Nibble had warned him to destroy the wooden dart, so Qua managed to thrust it unobserved into the kitchen fire, where it burned to ashes. At dinner, he saw his father appear, with the darts stuck in his belt, and the boy was content in the belief that his trick had not been discovered. Qua had eaten so many mince pies that he had no appetite for a roast elephant, and his failure to eat so provoked his father that he boxed his son's ears again, not knowing that this time the punishment was deserved. A day or two afterward, the elephants and horses being now devoured, King Gula started upon another hunting trip. He tramped 600 miles or so, and came upon a herd of fierce rhinoceri. Taking the dart from his belt, he said, Fly away without delay. Quickly slay the giant's prey. Then he cast the dart toward a giant bull rhinoceros, but it only flew a few feet and dropped to the ground. Gula was amazed. He tried it again, but the dart would not fly because it was made of wood and had no magical power. Then Gula became frightened, not knowing why the dart had failed him, and he turned around to go home again. But in two steps he encountered an army of the humans, who were armed with sharp spears, and had lain in wait to capture this cruel giant who had killed so many men and horses. Gula started to retreat, but the rhinoceri were now chasing him in a great band on one side, and the army of humans was advancing on the other side, so that in less than five minutes, Gula was a lifeless giant, one less of the dreadful race that had terrorized the people for ages. When Gula failed to return, the giants of the mountain called a meeting to elect a new king, and some were in favor of a giant named Poly. Crimus, and some favored the boy Qua, the son of their former king. But to the astonishment of all, the littlest giant stood up and declared that he would be king, saying that if any dared oppose him, he would slay them without mercy. So accustomed were they all to sneer at Nibble, that they paid little heed to his threats until, by means of the golden dart, he had killed all the biggest and strongest of the tribe, making that many less to terrorize the peaceful inhabitants of the valleys. The others reluctantly submitted to the conqueror, and the littlest giant became king. I think I will live in Gula's castle, he said. And so Lazy Liz and the boy Qua were obliged to move into the cave where Nibble used to reside. After that, all bowed low to the lidless giant and feared the magic power of his golden dart. Lazy Liz could never understand how Nibble got the dart, for Qua did not tell, being too ashamed, and Nibble did not tell, being too shrewd. But all knew that as long as Nibble possessed the enchanted talisman, he would remain king. Which proves said the former queen to her son, the former prince, that cleverness is worth more than size and strength. And it also proves, said Qua to himself, that it is unwise to deceive one's own father, or to steal what another values. For when I borrowed the golden dart, I won indeed a lot of mince pies, which were soon gone. But I lost a father and a throne, and am now condemned to pass my life in a cave, to atone for my fault. Which proves, in addition to the above, that Qua was beginning, too late perhaps, to learn wisdom. Thereafter, he spent many days amusing himself by spinning tin pie plates down from the mountain into the valleys below, until those reminders of his evil deed no longer cluttered the floor of the cave. The Lilith's Giant was run by Mike Conway, with Nathan Decoff as Gula, Angelo Thomas as Qua, Sam Malazzo as Nibble, and Kim McFarland as Lazy Liz. Music was by Kevin McLeod of www.incompetech.com. Thanks for listening.